This information is designed to provide accurate and authoritative information with regard to the subject matter covered. It is offered with the understanding that the presenters are not engaged in rendering legal, accounting, or other professional services. If legal advice or other expert advice is required, the services of a competent professional should be sought. Hi, this is James Orr, and welcome to the Real Estate Financial Planner Inside the Numbers podcast. This is episode one. So in this episode, Andrea's story was uh, she was recently divorced, has two young kids, aged four and two. She was able to walk away with $100,000 as her share of the proceeds after the divorce. And she's trying to live her life as an accountant working for a small manufacturing company while she is providing for her children and using the $100,000 that she walked away with from the divorce to save for retirement and be prepared to save her money that way and be ready to go. So as part of the Inside the Numbers, we really want to jump in and understand exactly how this scenario is set up so that you can copy it to your own account, uh, make any modifications you want to, and have it better reflect your situation or the situation of someone that you're trying to model. So I'm just going to click right into the scenario itself, and I'm going to start walking through what the assumptions were that we used it. And then you could see where you'd want to modify uh, something in order to be able to do that. Okay, so uh, the scenario name, we basically just named it this. If we put anything in brackets, it's going to become like this little red uh, for example, EP1, you can see how it shows up there. So anything you put into brackets like that is going to show up that way. Uh, and then we just named it as Andrea uh, Baseline. So you can name it whatever. It doesn't actually get used anywhere. It's free, only for you selecting what it is on there. Uh, we ran this scenario for 480 months. You can do up to, I believe, 720 months on the system, but we're just doing 480 months, which is 40 years to model it out. And in most cases, since she's 40 years old, that's going to model her out through age 80. In this particular case, you can put the name of the person, uh, name of person one and person two in this situation and their birth dates. We didn't do this in this particular case. It's completely optional. And right now the software doesn't do anything in particular with it. Eventually I want to be able to make it so that it shows you your age on charts, but that's not done yet. The effective income tax rate. So we've set the income, effective income tax rate to be 15% here. If you were really doing this modeling for yourself, you'd want to go, uh, you know, click on the link for smartasset.com and look up like what your estimated effective income tax rate would be for you and put that in here. This is primarily used when we determine what the depreciation benefit is for someone. And so we put in 15% uh, here for her effective income tax rate. If it's higher, it's going to be less conservative. If it's lower, it's going to be more conservative. So we kept it at 15% to be you know, relatively conservative in our estimate as to what the tax benefit, the depreciation tax benefit for her of owning the rental properties are. The inflation rate, we've set the inflation rate to be 3%. So that's why we have that 3.000. And that means that things become more expensive over time at a rate of 3%. The mortgage interest rate, 4.875 is what we've used here. This only gets used in the case of a cash out refinance. The actual mortgage interest rate will find out on the individual properties because each property can have its own mortgage interest rate. So we'll use that there. Minimum target monthly income and retirement, the MTMIR. In this case, Andrea is making uh, $48,000 a year, about $4,000 a month. So her minimum target monthly income retirement is going to be that same $4,000 a month. We really want to get to the point where the amount of money she has coming in replaces the income she is earning from that accounting job. And so we've set her minimum target monthly income retirement to $4,000 right there. And then we've set her ideal 
monthly income retirement to $20,000. This is sort of like her living her ideal lifestyle. And honestly, it's probably a little bit high. So you can adjust that. And really, this is used in when we determine if somebody has achieved financial independence, we're using that minimum target monthly income in order to do that. And also, we're going to use the ideal to tell you on a chart when she reaches her ideal target monthly income retirement, the ITMIR uh, for her retirement there too. And then here we have an option whether we adjust the minimum target monthly income retirement or the ideal target monthly income retirement when her owner-occupant property, the property that she is living in, has its mortgage paid off. So you can either choose to, yes, go ahead and adjust that number down so she doesn't need to earn as much once she has hit her um, number if she is uh, paid off her mortgage. The way to think about this is if you need $4,000 a month in order to live you know, a comfortable lifestyle to be financially independent. And that includes a mortgage payment. Well, when you pay your mortgage off, you no longer really need $4,000 a month. You need $4,000 minus whatever your then current mortgage payment was in order to be able to live there. So you can decide whether you want to adjust that or to leave it on. In this particular case, we've decided to adjust it down when she finally does pay off that mortgage. And that way, if she pays off her mortgage before she hits financial independence, her target to be able to reach financial independence is lower. If she reaches it after, it just means her lifestyle is a little bit higher because she no longer has that mortgage payment. A yearly safe withdrawal rate. In this case, we've used 4%. It's kind of like the 4% safe withdrawal rule, if you've kind of heard of that before. And so in this case, we've said, hey, look, if any money she has in her bank accounts, we're saying that she can safely withdraw 4% per year and that that will give her her ability to achieve financial independence. It's one of the metrics, one of the inputs used in order to determine whether or not she's reached her financial independence number or not. And so we've used 4% here for that. Then the scenario description, this is off just for you to keep notes. We've kind of written out a little bit of what her situation is just so we have it all here and you can see it, but you're welcome to put whatever notes you have in here. So if you're kind of making a copy of this and you want to change it, you can put in what your notes about this particular scenario is for you. In this case, uh, we're not running Monte Carlo. You may not have access to the Monte Carlo situation on your software package, but we're running only one of these things and we're running with static numbers anyway. The advanced version of the Real Estate Financial Planner podcast does Monte Carlo simulations and models what happens if the inflation is variable or her appreciation rate on her homes are variable or the rent appreciation is variable or the mortgage interest rates change over time. And then since all those are variable and can change over time, we want to run it more than once to see what the range of values are for when she hits her financial independence number and how much cash flow she has and how much money she's making. So we do those with using Monte Carlo. In this case, we're only using one because uh, we're not going to do anything other than static assumptions for all those. You can determine whether or not you want to be able to share this scenario with anyone. You can basically do it so that anyone can use it as long as they have the link or anyone you share a special link with basically has a password in the link itself. Or if only you want uh, access to it, you can set that up there. In this case, because we're making this as a public podcast and we want people to be able to copy her scenario, we go ahead and set it to be anyone. If you are copying it to yourself, you probably want to make it only you or anyone with a link if you're going to share it with someone else. And then these would be the links in order to share with people if you were uh, sharing it with other people. Okay, so now let's talk about accounts. Every particular scenario that gets set up has a default cash account. The default cash account is the account that um, gets used if you ever have your regular bank account go below zero. So you can't have a bank account typically go below zero. So in those cases, we actually go and we hit the default cash account 
that account can go negative. And then we have to see how much money outside of the system you had to bring in in order to make this work. In this particular case, she has an all-in-one bank account to start with. And so I'm gonna click through to kind of see what the assumptions are on that. And then we'll go ahead and uh, see how that all works out there. So basically, this is her bank account that we set up. I'm calling it the all-in-one account really because we didn't make a separate checking account or separate savings account or a separate account for a stock market. We basically just put it into this kind of hybrid all-in-one fictitious account. And that account we have $100,000 that she starts with. It's the amount of money she walked away with from the divorce. And we're saying she's earning about 8% per year in that account. Now that's sort of like a stock market rate of return. It's completely hypothetical and it's fixed. So it doesn't actually change over time. In the advanced versions, we actually change this uh, yearly rate of return to be variable to kind of model what the stock market might actually do. But in this case, we decided, hey, look, it's going to be 8%. It's going to be fixed there. And we're doing that. And we didn't say, hey, look, she really keeps you know, $5,000 in her checking account that's really earning 0% or 1%. And then she's got you know $95,000 in the stock market and that's earning you know, 8.5 or 8.7 or whatever it really is. We just said, look, we're just going to, as for simplification reasons, we're going to stick it all into one account and keep it all there. And so that account starts with $100,000 as shown here in opening balance. And the yearly rate of return is 8%. And we're saying that it's a stock type of account. You could choose whatever really she has in these accounts. But in this case, we're saying it's stocks. And that gets used primarily when we start looking at kind of her asset allocation, how much she has in stocks versus how much she has in bonds versus how much she has in real estate. And so uh, really it just shows you what you have in those accounts there. All right, let's go back. All right, so we've set up the accounts. You show that those are there. Um, and you have to make sure that when you're setting this up, you have all the accounts added to the scenario. So if you had accounts that you had made that you had not added, they would show up down here and you need to make sure that they're showing up as green, that they're included in the accounts. Now let's look at the property. In this case, we have a typical rental property. It's a template of a property here. Let's go through whatever the assumptions we use for that. So we look at this, you can see at a glance how the cash flow is in this property using the cash flow power meter. We have entire classes separately on what the cash flow power meter is, but it basically shows you at a quick glance how well this property is cash flowing. And it, it, that, that it shows that it's in this light green area. It means that it has positive cash flow if she was managing it herself. If it's in this dark green area, it shows that she has positive cash flow if she had a property manager. If it's in this yellow area, it shows that she doesn't have positive cash flow. But when you take into account the cash flow from depreciation, the tax benefits of owning the rental property, then it's positive. And anything in the red area over here shows that you have negative cash flow, that it's not even making up enough to cover the amount of principal pay down. And anything over here shows that she has negative cash flow and it's even not making up for the amount in principal that's being paid there. So the fact that the little the black line is right here above the green one shows that it's very slightly positive, assuming she's managing it herself. It's a dynamic property, which means that it's a property template that we're able to buy more than one of these properties using rules. If it's something that she already owned, like she already owns 1234 Main Street, we would have used already owned here. In this case, we're you're using a template to do that. And it's a nomad property. And remember, the nomad strategy is when you buy a property. As an owner occupant, so you have to move into the property. You move in there. You live there for at least a year. It's a requirement of the lender. When you sign for your loan documents, you're agreeing that you will owner occupy the property for one year. It's what the agreement is with your lender. And then after a year, you can convert that property to a rental. 
move out of it, you buy another property or rent another property if you want to do that. In this case, she's going to be buying a property and moving into it. And you convert that previous one to a rental property. So that's what the Nomad property does. It basically says, hey, look, I'm going to live in this property for a year. Once a year is up, if I buy another property that I'm moving into, I want to convert that old one to a rental. And so we have a little toggle button for that. It shows that that is on for doing this. Uh, so the address or description, we're calling this just typical rental property. That's what we're calling it. And so there'll be numbered typical rental property, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, as we buy different ones. The city, in this case, we didn't list the city here. You put in whatever city you want there. It's not really used for anything. It's just for you keeping track of where it is. Uh, no state in this particular case. The zip code, we didn't put a zip code in there. And the after repair value, so after repair value and the purchase price are the same. So she's buying these properties for basically what they're worth. She's not getting a discount on them. She's not paying a premium. In this case, she's buying $250,000 properties for $250,000. So the after repair value is $250K uh, and the purchase price is $250K as well. Now, here's that mortgage interest rate. So she's able to get 3.125% interest rate on this mortgage on this particular property. And that's a 30-year fixed rate loan. And then for the mortgage term, 360 months. So that's a 30-year loan. If you were doing like a 15-year mortgage or something like that, you could put in 180 months there and have that change as well. In this case, she's putting 5% down. She's not using a separate dollar amount. You could say, hey, look, I've got not 5% down. I've got $20,000 that I want to put down. You could decide to do 20,000 instead. In this case, she's just doing 5% down on the property. That means her loan amount is going to be 237.5. It's calculated for you. And the monthly payment on that is going to be $1,017.39. Her principal interest taxes and insurance is going to be 1236.14. That's calculated. The principal interest taxes and insurance, that's PITI plus the HOA, plus any PMI she's going to have, the private mortgage insurance on the property, is going to be $1,394.47. In this case, because she put 5% down, she's going to have private mortgage insurance, and that is actually worked out to be 0.8%, not 1%, but 0.8% of the balance of the loan when she first takes it out per year on that property until the balance of the loan and the property value makes it such that the loan is less than 80% loan to value. And then at that point, the private mortgage insurance will go away. So in this case, the private mortgage insurance is $158.33 per month. And then for closing costs, we're saying that at the closing cost that she's going to be charged by her lender in order to be able to get this loan and to be able to close on the property is 1% of the purchase price. So about $2,500 in this particular case to do that. This property is in really good condition. It doesn't require anything to get it ready to rent because she's going to be living in there for a year anyway. And so we don't have anything in here for rent-ready costs. But if you had a property that you knew you were going to need to do work on, you could put a dollar amount in there for what it is for rent-ready costs. Uh, she's not able to get the seller to agree to pay for any of her closing costs. So seller concessions is zero, both for the dollar amounts or for the percent. And then in this case, her de the depreciation assumptions, we're saying that about 15% of the property value is considered the value of the land because you can't depreciate the value of the land. You can only depreciate the value of the building for tax reasons. And so we want to know what percentage of the property is considered the building and what percentage is considered the land. In this case, we said it's a residential property and 15% of it is the value of the land. And so we walk you through how we did the calculation in order to determine what the depreciation benefit will be. Uh, the accounts, so where is she getting this down payment from? She's getting it from that $100,000 all-in-one account. And then where are we depositing any rents that come in? And where are we taking out the mortgage and the taxes and the insurance? We're all doing that out of the all-in-one account as well. 
you could, in theory, actually set up the scenario so that you're pulling down payments out of one special account, and then you've got all the income and expenses going into another account and coming out of the other account. In this case, we've just done them all together. We're saying property values are going up 2% a year. So that means that any properties she owns are going up 2% a year and the properties that she's going to be buying in the future, kind of like the template we're using, that is gonna be moving away from her as she gets further down there at, at a rate of 2% per year. So that $250,000 property is going up at this appreciation rate of 2% per year. Okay, uh, we're gonna start the rent. So we're gonna start it as soon as we're done moving out of it after a year. And the rent on the property that she's able to get on a $250,000 property in her market, she's able to collect around $1,600 a month in rent. And we're saying that rents are going up at a rate of 3% per year, which is keeping pace with inflation. So property values are going up 2% in this case, rents are going up 3%. That's a little unusual for what I'd like to do. Typically, I'd like to have rents and appreciation going up at the same rate. But in this case, she's in a market where the property rents are going up a little faster than property prices. She's getting no other income on the property. And that other income is not increasing at a different rate. So she could be saying, look, I'm getting you know, an extra $50 a month for renting out the back storage shed, or I'm, I'm charging them extra for utilities or for internet service or something like that. And you could have a separate appreciation rate for that other monthly income. In this case, she's not doing either though. She has no other monthly income. And it's not going up at an increased amount. So let me show you monthly gross potential income. It's $1,600 a month plus the $0 for other income. So it's $1,600 a month. And that's really just the rent. The vacancy rate. So we're saying that it is vacant 3% of the time which means that about one out of every three, one month out of every three years. Now, if you do property management the way we typically suggest, you will be uh, trying to find a replacement tenant at least 60 days prior to the lease expiring. And so you should have very low vacancy rate. You should have sub 3%. And if, you're, if you've got a higher vacancy rate than 3% because you're having a hard time finding a tenant, then you're probably priced a little bit too high for that particular market at that time. And so we try to target around 3% for our vacancy rate, but Go ahead and make adjustments for whatever you believe to be true is in your market and your kind of management philosophy. So uh, monthly gross operating income is that gross uh, potential income minus whatever your vacancy rate is. So in this case, our monthly gross operating income on this property is $15.52 per month. Property taxes, we're estimating it's about 0.65%. It happens to be what the uh, tax rate is in, this, in my particular market. I know in other markets that seems really high or really low. And so it works out to be about $16.25 per year or $135 per month. And that does increase as the property value goes up because it's a percentage of the property value, which is typically how taxes are calculated. Then as property values get more expensive, the taxes on that are also going to increase as well. Uh, property insurance, we're using 0.4% per year. And so that's estimated about $1,000 per year, about $83.33 per month. And again, because that is a percentage of the property value, then the amount that insurance costs typically goes up each year um, as property values get increased, which makes sense. I mean, it costs more to insure a more expensive property. And so as property values go up, the cost to insure them should go up as well. Uh, the yearly HOA, there's no HOA on this particular property, so it's $0.00. The HOA appreciation rate, if we had an HOA, the appreciation rate would show how fast HOA uh, costs are going up in that particular property. Are you paying any monthly utilities when you rent the property out? And in this case, the tenant is paying for all the electric and gas and all the other utilities that they have on the property. And so the landlord is not paying any. So it's zero here for monthly utilities. And then you have a utilities appreciation rate. If you think that's going to go up faster or slower than inflation, you can adjust that independently as well. 
And then if you have any other monthly expenses on a property, you'd use those here for other monthly expenses, one or two. So for example, if you're buying a triplex and you are responsible as the landlord for maintaining a common area or for um, you know mowing the lawn in the front of the houses or something like that, you can add a separate monthly expense in for those and a monthly expense appreciation rate. And we've got room for two. If you have more than two, just combine them into one and put them in there. In this case, we have no separate additional monthly expenses uh, for either one or two on this particular case for Andrea. Maintenance on the property, we've set, we set aside 10% uh, of the gross rents collected for maintenance on the property. So it's about $155.20 per month on that. And then she is managing the property herself. So we're paying $0 for property management. If you were going to have a property manager here, you can go ahead and put in a you know 10% or whatever your property manager is charging you and have the property management fee calculated in there as well. And then we walk through what the operating expenses are, property taxes, plus insurance, plus HOA, plus utilities, plus other expenses, one and two, plus the maintenance and property management of the property. And then we show you what those numbers are. And then the total for the month, $373.95. Once we know the operating expenses, we can calculate the net operating income or the NOI. Net operating income is gross operating income minus the operating expenses. So the gross operating income is $1,552 minus $373.95. That leaves us with $1,178.05 per month left over for kind of paying the uh, financing on the property and our profit. Cap rate, cap rate is defined as net operating income divided by purchase price. And so we take that net operating income that we just calculated that $1,178.05 and we divide it by the purchase price, which is 2,500. And so the cap rate on the property that she's buying is a cap rate of about 5.65%. You know, pretty decent cap rate property. Monthly cash flow, net operating income minus the mortgage payment minus PMI. So the monthly cash flow is 1178.05 minus $1,017.39 minus $158.33 for the PMI. So sheer monthly cash flow on this property is about break-even. You know, it's $2.33 a month. That looks to be about break-even to me. And that does include vacancy, uh, maintenance on the property, taxes, insurance, her mortgage payment, her PMI. Um, the only thing it doesn't really include is kind of uh, any capital expenses that you're saving for, and also that she's managing herself. So if she had a property manager, it would also uh, be, need to be added to that. So the break-even rent that she would need if she was going to be break-even is $1,597.33. She's getting $1,600, so it's very, very close to break-even. Uh, so the rent shows you the numbers here. If you wanted to have plus or minus $25 a month cash flow, just does some calculations for you that. Okay. And then kind of clearing up here at the final spot here, there's a spot here for capital expenses. So if you're setting aside money for capital expenses on the property, replacing roofs, redoing kitchens, <clears throat> excuse me, replacing windows, all the things of that nature, you can do a separate number in here for monthly capital expenses. In this particular case, she's setting aside zero, which is not realistic, but it kind of is a placeholder. And then uh, the CapEx appreciation rate you have here at 3%. And then in order to calculate how much true net equity she would have, if she were to sell the property, we ask you, okay, what were your closing costs be when you sell? In this case, we've assumed it's 1% of the transaction. What are your real estate commissions when you're selling? In this case, we've assumed it's 6% of the, of the price that she sells it for. What's the depreciation recapture tax rate? So any depreciation you got from the government uh, when you own the property, you now need to pay depreciation recapture tax when you sell it. And so what is your depreciation tax depreciation recapture tax rate? That's 25%. 
and then what the capital gains tax rate is on the gain. So you bought it for 250,000, you owned it for five years, it's now worth, let's say 300,000, you pay capital gains tax rate on that $50,000 gain. And so what is the tax rate on that? In this case, we use 15%. And so this allows you to find out like what actual true net equity you have in the property. And that here just shows you some return quadrants. So I'm not gonna go through those on this particular thing. So we're just going through the numbers, but you can go look at those when you kind of add it to your account there. Now we'll go back. Okay, so that was the property. And uh, once you run it here, it kind of gives you a summary. It shows you that cash flow parameter, shows you that it's a dynamic property, shows you that it's a nomad property. We purchased it for 250,000 with 2% appreciation, $1,600 a month rent with 3% appreciation, 3% vacancy, 10% maintenance. You're managing yourself, 0% property management. You're putting 5% down, getting a 360-month mortgage, 30-year mortgage at 3.125%. You're taking your all-in-one account for both the down payment, which is DP, and your closing costs. And then you're doing that all-in-one account for both your income and expenses. And if you want to see any individual property, you can go click on these. I'll kind of just show you here. Oops. So if you want to see any of the properties, you can see all the different charts and everything for those. You can go look at those when you want to, but every each individual property has its own set of charts. And then you can see all the properties combined together on one chart as well, if you'd like to. All right, uh, and, and as I mentioned before, you need to have the property added to the scenario. So if it wasn't added, it would show up here in this red box and you have to click on the plus button to make sure it gets added uh, so that it's included in the scenario itself. Because the scenarios, they allow you to use kind of like shared resources. So if you have a property that you wanna use in multiple different scenarios, you can make the property once and use those in scenario A or scenario B or scenario C. And so you need to say, hey, which one of these properties do you want to include in this scenario and which ones do you not want to include? And so these are two examples of scenarios that we're going to be using in other, um, two different uh, properties that we're going to be using in other scenarios that we're not currently using. You can see that these are not included because they're red and they're uh, it's kind of not included. So the one where we add $100 more per month in rent, another one where we're getting 10%, paying a 10% property manager, we're going to do those in other episodes for Andrea, but not in episode one. So they're not included in this scenario. Okay. Now we're on to rules. Rules are things that modify accounts and properties and sometimes other rules. So, so basically it allows you to manipulate things and do stuff. So for example, how do we model Andrea's paycheck? So here's her paycheck rule. And if we go in there, you can see that her paycheck, it's the rule that says paycheck and personal expenses. It's gonna run for the entire scenario. This is just a description that we put in here to describe like what it is that we're doing. So you could say this is Andrea's job. And if she got remarried, this is, you know, her husband, Joey's, you know, income or expenses or whatever it is, but you name it, whatever you want it to do so that you can keep track of whatever it is on there, or if you're doing it yourself. And then where do we apply this rule? In this case, we're applying it to that, that uh, scenario where Andrea baseline episode one, and then what account are we depositing the paycheck to? It's that all in one account. What account are we depositing her personal expenses, pulling her personal expenses from? It's that all in one account. And then how much is her paycheck? We're saying it's $4,000 a month. And in this case, we're saying once she achieves financial independence, this paycheck will stop. So once we find out that the amount from the amount she has in her bank accounts at that safe withdrawal rate and any cash flow she has in from her rental properties, once that actually achieves her goal of financial independence, that $4,000 a month from the passive income, then this paycheck will go away. So the rule is set up that if you toggle this on or off, it determines whether or not you continue getting the paycheck or not. And then her personal expenses, not including the mortgage payment on the property she's living in, is $1,980.54.
And then if she was renting a property, you could you could put aside a number in here to show us how much you would adjust down from when she converts to uh, owning a property from renting. In this case, we're not doing that, so it's zero. And then whether or not we want to have the paycheck, the $4,000 a month, adjust up for inflation over time, and whether or not we want to have the personal expenses also adjust up for inflation over time, you want to click or not click this box. So if you knew you were getting $4,000 a month, but that never increased, it's always $4,000 a month, even if you know 10 years in the future, then you could leave this unchecked for that. In this case, because $4,000, that's the money from her job at the accounting firm, uh, at the um, sole manufacturing company, she's an accountant there. That money is increasing with inflation, as are her personal expenses. So the personal expenses also increase with inflation. We check this off to do that. And then her tax rate, in this case, for on her uh, kind of like income, is 19.65%. So in this case, we're saying her tax rate is 19.65% on the income she's earning. And so the amount of money that she's kind of left over to pay her mortgage and stuff like that is all shown down here. Okay, so that's the rule for her income. Now, she has passive income, so at some point in the future, she's going to receive uh, income from her Social Security. So this one, instead of running for the entire scenario, it runs from a specific date. So we have a rule start date, and then we have a rule end date. And so it starts on January 1st, 2046, and that's when she's going to be uh, 65 years old, approximately. And then her rule end date, it doesn't ever end, so we just kind of leave that blank. Month, month, day, day, year, year, year. Okay, so basically it shows you that it runs forever. So it starts on age 65 for her, and it never ends. And so I just described this as Andrea's Social Security income at age 65. It applies to that scenario, episode one, Andrea baseline. And we're going to deposit her this passive income into her all-in-one account. And her passive income is going to be about $1,423. So $1,423 per month. And we do adjust this for inflation. And then the tax rate on that income that she's earning is 18.63%. And so we show the amount of money she's earning from her passive income and that it starts about 25 years in the future and that that will then contribute toward her ability to achieve financial independence. Okay. So we've gone over her, her paycheck and personal expenses. We've gone over the passive income she has for Social Security. Now we're going to go over a rule to buy properties. And so we go into this rule. It basically says, okay, run this for the entire scenario and we're buying nomad properties. We're just describing what it is we're doing with this rule. It applies to that episode one, Andrea baseline. That's what rule, that's where this rule exists for the scenario. And then which property are we buying? In this case, we're buying that typical rental property that we had there. We're not buying the $100 more per month in rent or the 10% property manager. We're just doing that typical rental property there. And then which account do we want to check for down payment? Because this rule is going to say, you know, buy a property when the account has a down payment. And so what account do we want to check to make sure we have a down payment? Well, it's that all-in-one account that we stored all the money in. And then so that account, we're going to check to see if that's down payment. And we need to have enough for the down payment plus $10,000 because we want to always keep at least $10,000 in that bank account. And we want to make sure that that's adjusted for inflation. So it's not $10,000 10 years in the future. It's $10,000 today plus whatever it inflates at. So we want to keep uh, you know $10,000 in today's dollars amount in there. And then how many months of reserves for this property? In this case, she's going to operate a little bit aggressive and she's going to say, I want no additional months of reserves. I'm just keeping that $10,000 in reserves and no months for personal expenses and no minimum months of reserves for other properties. And how many of these properties am I going to buy? Well, in this case, Andrea is saying, look, I want to be able to buy eight rentals and I want to have one additional house that I always live in. And so we're going to say buy nine properties like this. And so she'll be able to buy nine properties the last one is the one she's going to permanently live in. 
The first one she's going to buy, she's going to live there for a year, and then she's going to convert it to a rental. The next one she's going to buy, she's going to uh, move in, live there for a year, and then convert it to a rental. And she's going to repeat that until she gets to buying property nine. And at that point, she's going to live in that property forever. Okay. And then we also check to make sure that she has um, her debt to income never exceeds 45% DTI. That's a kind of loan rule for being able to qualify for the loan. So if her if her debt to income buying the next property would be higher than 45% DTI, we're not going to allow her to buy it using this rule. Once it gets to the point where it'll stay below, when it's below 45% debt to income, then we'll allow her to buy the next one. So the minimum is a year based on the, the her ability to have the down payment. If she has a down payment within a year and she has her debt to income ratio uh, below that, then after a year, due to the fact that she's moving in and living there for a year, then because it's a nomad property, then we, after the year, she can then... Uh, buy another property. But if she doesn't have the down payment, she's not going to be able to buy it. And if she doesn't have the debt to income ratio in order to support that loan, she's not going to be able to buy it. So there it is. And then if she happened to be a real estate agent, she was earning commissions as she bought properties, you can model that as well. In this case, she doesn't have a real estate license. And so she is not modeling uh, how much she has on there. So it's zero for that. And then we're not using any of this stuff, but you could do like really sophisticated stuff where you say, look, I want to be able to do a cash out refinance and any other properties I own to be able to come up with a down payment in order to buy that property as well. In this case, we're not doing that. And so it doesn't exist there. Okay. So those are the assumptions and the setup for that. Once we get all these assumptions and setup done, make sure it's saved and then click run analysis. And the software will then run your analysis on this particular scenario. And you'll be able to go and see um, you know, all the different summaries. So it shows you the scenario. She has two accounts, the default account and that uh, all-in-one $100,000 account. She bought nine properties. She has three rules in this scenario, one for her personal income and expenses, one for that social security, and one for buying properties. She achieves her minimum target monthly income and in retirement at 138 months. And if you click on this, it'll show you the chart for when she does that. Um, she achieves her ideal target monthly income and retirement, that $20,000 a month in month 446. She never achieves two times her ideal. She has a net worth of $16.22 million in month 480, basically 40 years in the future. Her target monthly income in retirement at the start is $4,000 a month. She's using a 4% safe withdrawal rate. This all starts in April of 2022 when I run this scenario. Uh, and the maximum monthly income required for her is $4,216.11 in order to be able to qualify for the loans. So $4,000 of that is coming from her job. And then we need to have $216.11 in order to be able to, uh, from positive cash flow on the rental properties in order to get her there. If you want to see a summary of this, you can click on the summary. That will show you just a quick rundown of some really basic charts, but you could really drill down and see uh, a ton more detail as to what's going on. But we won't go into that right now. And then if you want to see some additional reports about return in uh, dollars quadrants and return on equity quadrants and, and things of that nature, we can do all those to kind of get a feel for that, okay? But we're not going to do that now either. Then if you want to read the blueprint of the kind of plan all laid out, you can go there. And that has a bunch of reports as well, too, on the bottom for being able to see stuff. So you can see reports of how risky this particular uh, scenario is. And comparatively, you can kind of look at a lot of details on that, too. Okay, so that's it. This has been James Orr. Uh, of course, you can go to the um, realestatefinancialplanner.com. You can copy Andrea's entire scenario and then just modify it. So if your situation is really similar to Andrea's, except you're not starting with $100,000, you're starting with $200,000 or $30,000 or whatever your number is. And I don't make $4,000 a month. I make you know $6,000 a month or I make you know 
$2,000 a month. You can change all the assumptions by going in here. Once you copy the entire thing to your account, you can go back through. And just as I walk through with the assumptions, just change them to be whatever reality is for you. If you already own several properties, you can add additional properties in there, either already owned or used rules to buy those as well. So that's basically how you work it. Uh, this has been James Orr. I hope you enjoyed Inside the Numbers Real Estate Financial Planner Podcast, Episode 1 with Andrea. Thanks, everybody. Bye-bye for now. Oh, I almost forgot. You can download the newest version of the world's greatest real estate deal analysis spreadsheet for free. Just go to realestatefinancialplanner.com forward slash spreadsheet to download it right now. It's amazing. Bye-bye for now.